Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, I am recording this uh, in, a, in a little room right now. I'm, I'm not uh, in my studio, and that's because I've been moving around, traveling, doing some stuff. And uh, I, So I, I got my laptop out, got the mic out, and I'm just recording. So it might sound a little bit different, but that's why. You know, I'm often on adventures too. Uh, anyway, this is one of my favorite episodes, one of my favorite revisited episodes we're going to do, because this conversation was one of those that just blew my mind. Angela's story is incredible. Walked around the world. Update, she did complete the adventure. We talked to her probably a year, year and a half before she completed the adventure when we had her on the show. And what was cool is she was taking a break and she came uh, over the winter to take a break in Denver, got to meet her and take her to uh, my wife's elementary school classroom and talk to her class. It was incredible. They had so many questions Emily loved it. The kids loved it. It was, Angela was incredible. Just a huge hit with the folks at the school and all the teachers and faculty were just so enamored with the story. And it was one of the coolest experiences to, to meet someone, not only meet someone from the show, but to, to do that, be able to set something up where they could speak and talk about the causes. Of course, uh, Angela is raising money through this adventure to build a, a girl's safe school, um, against gender violence and against sex trafficking in India. And also, uh, you know, I said this is one of my favorite episodes. I also said that last week about Jerome Rand's episode about the solo nonstop sale around the world, one of my all-time favorites, this one as well. Crazy thing, a couple days after Jerome's episode came out last Thursday, literally a week ago today, uh, a couple days later, I just get a random call. And I answer it, and it's Jerome. <laughs> He's like, hey, man, how's it going? And I said, great, how are you doing? You must have seen that I released your episode recently on the podcast. Like, I, I re-released it. And he goes, no, I didn't see that at all. I said, are you serious? You're calling me two days after I released it. I haven't heard from you in like two years. And he's like, wow, crazy coincidence. I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, anyway, I was on an adventure. It went terribly wrong. My boat flipped over. He was on another solo experience expedition, and apparently things went really, literally sideways, and it did not look good for him. Anyway, he said he was going to be in town soon and wanted to do a podcast episode about it and wanted to see if we could do it live together, and I said, absolutely, we'll make it happen. And I intentionally did not ask any more questions because I wanted to learn everything there was to know about what happened while, you know, for the first time when you hear it as well. So I don't have canned, you know, responses or follow-up questions. I, I want to hear it the same time you do. So um, be looking out for that. So maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe Angela, something gets put out in the world when I when I revisit episodes and the person wants to reach back out. So hopefully I can get Angela back on to talk about finishing this adventure of walking around the world and uh, what it was like and what she's been doing since. And uh, I will say there's a lot uh, she's gone through and th there's so much to the story that we didn't get to cover. I encourage you to look at, but uh, there are things that happen to her adventure that we don't actually get into in this conversation, which make her story even more incredible, more impactful, and frankly, more inspiring. So I encourage you to check that out. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. 
and, and now you said you're taking a month break. Where are you? Where are you taking that break? So I'm in Georgia, where my mom just moved to, and my mom is actually going to be joining me from Columbus to Kansas City, and so. I came here to help her unpack her stuff and then get her. She has a trike that she rides. And so I'm helping her pack up and, you know, sleeping bag and everything she's going to need for the road. And then my brother's going to drive us up to Columbus where I left off. And we're going to start walking on Sunday for, from there. Oh, so. very interesting. So where did she move from to move to Georgia? Uh, from Virginia Beach. That's where I grew up. And so my my stepdad had passed earlier this year and we and we knew it was coming. We had planned for it, and she sold the house, and she moved in with her sister down in Georgia. Oh, very cool, very cool. So, so now you just um, landed on the East Coast, and I assume you're you know, you're walking to you said to Kansas City, so walking to the West Coast. Yes, correct. Okay. So I'm walking back to where I started, which is in Bend. Oh, Bend, Oregon. Very yeah. cool. So I guess that's where you were living or exactly. Yeah. That's why I, I was living there for about a year and a half before I started walking. Okay. So, wow. We're getting really close to the end. What does that feel like? <laughs> um, it's, I think it's, there's excitement because there's things that I am ready to create and that I want to participate in kind of these creative projects that really get me, um, looking forward to, you know, in terms of being kind of quote at the end of it. Um, but also, you know, I'm so kind of addicted to this lifestyle and walking that it's going to be hard to give up. So I, I don't know. I know that, you know, typically when, when we finish a, a hike or a long adventure, a lot of people go through depression. It's hard to kind of assimilate back uh, into that. But, but I've had little, little breaks here and there that I think has helped prepare me. So when walking, sometimes it's a visa issue or, you know, I've had both of my fathers were ill and so I'd have to go and visit with them. And so there are times I'd be sitting in a bed and watching, you know, television and I, it's surreal to me, but I think it also kind of keeps the reality check of, of being back into the quote, the normalcy, <laughs> the rhythm of life. Mm, that, that's actually interesting because we do talk to a lot of people that it's, you know, 100% their adventure or their journey, and then 100% it's gone. Does that make sense? Like it's there, yeah. that's all you do all the time, and then all of a sudden it's 100% over. And so you saying you get those breaks, it probably gets you gives you a chance to kind of break out of the lifestyle of being on the road all the time and, you know, probably feels in a way, even though it might not be at home, it feels a little more like a normal life. It's interesting. Right. Well, yeah. Well, I think because most of the time, a lot of uh, the structure that people uh, in terms of necessity to create an adventure is it has to be taking a certain amount of time off from work or family. And so they only have a lot of time and they go in head first and you're full on. Like if you're on, you know, a hiking trail, you know, you might get a night or two, you know, with a ceiling and, you know, or a hotel or a cabin, but ultimately you are completely thrust into it. And then you jump back into what the way that you left off, you know, like your toothpaste is still sitting on the <laughs> bathroom counter and, you know, you, you've got a rhythm, you still have the same bills coming in. And, um, and so with what I'm doing, I had to let go of all of that, but it, I think it doesn't mean for me that it's going to be going back to the same thing. I have no idea what I'm actually walking back to, if that makes sense. <laughs> and you've had plenty of time to process what that might look like. Sure, sure. I mean, I think when, 
um, when people ask me what, you know, who's the woman that's going to be going back to the place that you started, there's no way to have an answer for that. Because even between Columbus, Ohio and Bend, Oregon, I still don't know who I'm going to become or who I'm going to meet or what's going to happen. So it's really about constantly being in the curiosity um, of the unknown. You know, this is this is an interesting adventure because you're you're not doing something um, with other people in the sense of even if you do something solo, like on a popular hiking trail, chances are hundreds of other people are also on that trail doing it at the same time. Can you take us back to why walking and why doing it solo and in, in the way you're doing it? Where, where did that idea come from? And, and uh, yeah, just kind of about that. I know you probably answered that a thousand times so far, but <laughs> we're all <laughs> well, new to the story. <laughs> sure. Well, the, the, the interesting thing about that is, um, you know, even though people do always start with that question, I have never come up with a better answer. <laughs> and I think it's been the, the same since I started. It it was um, a completely off the wall thing um, in terms of, you know, I had done small little day hikes. I grew up kind of close to uh, the Appalachian Trail, so I could take a weekend to go there, but I never did it alone. Um, I had never camped alone. And I was still a little bit iffy on how to like build a successful campfire. So um, I had heard about someone who was walking and something just ignited in me and I had to find out more like, wait, who, how far are they walking? And, you know, has someone actually walked around the world? What men have done it? What women have done it? I became obsessed. I was ordering all these books, everything, of course, from, you know, like uh, Tracks by Robin Davidson, of course, Wild by Cheryl Strait. And then also the people that you don't commonly hear of, like Rosie Swale Pope, who was in her, I think, late 50s when she set out to start running solo around the world. Um, uh, Fiona Campbell, who was the first woman to walk around the world, and she had a team, usually of one or two uh, men that would help support her because she would walk long distances, up to 30 miles a day. So there were all these kind of adventures, particularly women that had done these amazing long journeys. And I think by reading what they had done and their vulnerability and sharing their stories, I started to feel confident that not only did I want to do it, still couldn't figure out why, still couldn't tell you why, but it was like I was born to do it. And I knew it would be stripping down everything that I thought I was going to do in terms of getting married or have a family or which I'm still open to. But at the time, it wasn't I had to let go of building towards that. And I wanted to just completely kind of jump in full on to something that was a little bit bigger than I could probably chew on. And I did have experiences to learn. That was, that was very true. (laughs) Wow. And now when you got the idea, did you, did you know what kind of how big you wanted it to be from the beginning or did it grow into that? I knew, I knew I wanted it to be big. I mean, I kind of, I kind of joke that I've, I think I've lived my whole life that way. Um, like when I was 18, I signed up for massage school and I'd never had a massage. I had never been around it. I just, the idea came I'm like, great, I'm going to do that. And then, hmm. oh, I want to do yoga, but I'd never done a yoga class. Literally never tried it. I want to start teaching it. I kind of start to jump in full on. And so I remember having a conversation with a friend uh, in Oregon and he was being kind and, uh, and very practical. And he said, well, 
rather than just give up your whole life and go walking around the world, why don't you just like, go do the Pacific Crest Trail? It's only a 45 minute drive outside of town. And I remember that the response just deep, like almost kind of a, uh, uh, not like angry, but very much like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm not going on a walk. I want the world. And I want to take on the world. And so it was, you know, probably even bigger than it turned out to be when I started. Of course, you know, as a lot of people think when they're preparing for a journey, you know, whether it's in a car or by bike or on foot, you look at a map and you kind of have a sense of where you're going to go. And I had, you know, drawn a line across this map, this flat printed out map of where I was going to walk. And of course, it ended up looking nothing like that in the end. And there's so many factors that come up along the way. One of them is who I meet along the road, um, sometimes staying in, and I like to contribute and help. So for example, staying on a, a farm in Sardinia uh, to learn how to make cheese and help uh, ref, uh, redesign a and b things like that, that I think if I were to push on to try to get to a certain place by a certain time, um, there is, and there is a time and place for that. But also it's these experiences that make up, you know, walking and it shaping who I'm going to become and these experiences. So there's a lot of compromise between getting from point A to point B, uh, getting the visa or not and who I meet. And so it's definitely not looking the same as when I first started. You know, you're, you're building a framework for experiences you could never foresee, you know when you head it out, you, you just have no idea who you're going to come across or the situations or what kind of inspirations would take place once you put yourself out there. So mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, you did see yourself in situations that were like, man, I would have never imagined I'd be here right now when I first got the idea to do this walk. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I think the way that you say that, that's the essence of, of an adventure. I mean, even if you're doing something like a trail where there's a, a single path that that you're taking. And, and sure, there might be many other people taking it as well. But when you have that path is being open to where that path is actually going to take you. I kind of feel it as, you know, even though there's this solid trail, let the trail take you on the adventure. So if you meet someone or you you go off and, you know, you find something beautiful and you know, well, I want to get there by this certain time, but I would love to stay here and just read a book and build a campfire and enjoy this, you know, beautiful scenery to my place. I find in the adventure world, it's a really challenging decision for people to make no matter where they are in the world. It's like, well, if I've got to get, you know, to the end point, but this thing has just popped up, there's always this dilemma. Do you, do you stay or do you go? Is that hard for you? No, not anymore. <laughs> I, I've, com um, I've completely kind of given up on the, this commitment to point A to point B within a certain time frame. And the first, two, I'd say the first three years, so I'm in, I'm in my fifth year now, the first three years, I was challenged with that. I was challenged with things like um, I was just 10 days into walking Vietnam and I got dengue fever and I felt like a failure. I mean, I, of course, it wasn't something I did and I, I, I maybe could have prevented it in some way, but 
but there I was with dengue fever and looking at the fact that I really deep down didn't want to walk across Southeast Asia. It was too crowded for me. It was too hot. It was, uh, I wasn't enjoying myself. And I made a decision to go somewhere to change my route, get on a plane and fly to Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia, because that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to go to this last nomadic frontier. But I was still also facing that place where I think as a lot of adventurers feel they failed if they change their route. Mm -hmm. If you even go off by one mile or you don't get to your end point, there's a place where we kind of judge our success based on, you know, how we got there. And did we get to that finish line? And I've tried to just let that go um, and base my success on the experience itself. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. I feel like when a lot of people start making, you know, giving themselves the freedom to say change what they had in mind at first, I don't know, a lot of times they end up wanting to quit at some point and decide to do that. And you obviously haven't done that. Why, why do you think you've been able to have the ability to change, but also not get wrapped up in the fact like, this is really hard and I'm kind of done with it? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, um, I think it comes down to a mixture of devotion and stubbornness. <laughs> so, you know, there's a place where we feel like there's commitment, like you're committed to the trail or you're, you know, you're committed to finishing, which, you know, when I talk about, you know, not measuring my success based on the finish line, it's, I'm still deep down, you know, you know, kind of married to this concept. I have to get to the finish line. It's still there. It's kind of innate, you know, you want to, you start a marathon, you really want to finish, you know, every, every fiber in your being is like, I want to cross that finish line with everyone else. Um, but I think that, you know, I've, allowed myself to just change the perspective of what what the walk is going to look like in between it's like the sandwich and it might be chicken and it might be roast beef but as long as you got the two pieces of bread the start and the finish whatever it looks like in between I'm okay with whatever comes up there so I hope that makes sense you know it's kind of like you're going to have start and finish wherever they're going to be but it's the in between literally the meat that makes a journey worth it. No, that, that, that does make sense. You know, I've had to make changes on adventures and, you know, ended up being wonderful stories in the end for sure. But it, it, it's, yeah, I guess, I guess you can't, you can't be incredibly rigid with something this long and this kind of of your own essence. Like if you were on the Pacific Crest Trail, you'd probably feel more of that, need to stick to the trail and not go around things and and just because that's what the experience is for thousands of people but this for you is it's yours 100 percent. no one else is doing this the way you're doing it and for a lot of people that could feel daunting but for you it seems freeing it is well it it, it definitely took time i mean i i feel like even halfway through the journey i and, and probably even now i still I still have to consciously remind myself it's, it's my journey. It is mine and I can do it however I want to do it. And there's still this kind of under current, this kind of fabrication that can have my mind still go back into uh, a, a 
kind of judgment system of failing because I'm not doing it the way others would. It's, you know, I think there's, you know, the, the kind of parallel is a lot of people who will do like the Camino or the Pacific Crest Trail, you know, they're all following the same route, the same trail. And if they don't get to the places that they set out to do, you'll, when you listen to them tell their stories, there's kind of a disclaimer, you know, almost an apology. Well, I started out here and I was aiming here, but I only made it here because it started snowing. I only, and then I got sick and we, it's like, we need excuses for not being able to finish. But the thing is that we don't really tend to prioritize the experiences along the way. And I don't know if the solution is to let go of the end point or not, but it's kind of an acceptance of do it however you want to do it. And it is freeing to let yourself fully experience it and giving that space to enjoy the process. And what does the enjoyment look like? I mean, carrying a 65, a 65 pound hiking bag along a trail is never, it's not to say that's enjoyable, (laughs) but if you, you know, you get halfway through your day and you find a beautiful spot, how can you just let yourself enjoy it without judging yourself for whether or not you're going to make you know, your end point in time? It looks like you are going to make your end point. I mean, reflecting back closer towards the end than you were a few years ago, for sure. Uh, has the journey been what you thought it would be? and Or how has it been different than what you originally thought it was when you first started out? Well, when I first started out, I thought it would be a pretty continuous, uninterrupted line. Um, you know, like the, the trail that I set out to do across the four continents, I knew I might hit some bumps along the way, but, um, the way that the walk has actually turned out to be is, uh, legs. Like for example, uh, if I, you know, if I, when I started Australia, I did Perth to Columbaru and then, uh, Mongolia, I did Ulaanbaatar to Ulangom. I, I ended up needing to create legs so that my head could wrap around it. Like, well, I just got to get to this point in a few months. Um, and let's see if I can or how I'm going to do that. Um, I also don't set up the route. Um, I kind of each day, you know, at the end of the day, I'll look at my map and I'll kind of decide, well, do I want to go a little bit more north and around these mountains or do I want to go through? And it has a lot to do with how I'm feeling. So the whole walk has actually turned out a lot more intuitive um, and less planning. And, uh, and I, I didn't expect, how would I say it? There were places that I wanted to walk, um, and that I thought without a doubt I would get there. And I just didn't. In fact, the reason that I'm back in the U S now is because my stepfather had passed and I still thought I might have another two years of walking, but there was just this sensation of, well, I got as far as I could in Europe. And with the Schengen zone, I only get three months at a time. So there was a lot of ping ponging going into Europe to walk a little bit and then go walk like New Zealand and then go back in and then go walk England. And I, I found it was becoming a little exhausting and I wasn't enjoying it as much. And I thought, you know, it's my fifth year. I think it's time to go home. So the whole, the whole idea here is to let the walk take me on the journey. And so that's why I'm sitting and (laughs) <laughs> Chattahoochee of Georgia right now. <laughs> you just never know. You just never know what, it, what it's going to bring. Right, right. <laughs> and you have this, you know, it sounds like you have this just incredible attitude about it. And I, I was watching some videos on Instagram. You just seem so 
I don't know, laid back about the whole thing and just very reflective about it all. Has has it been like that the whole time or have has that been who you become through the hike or through the walk? Mm, I, I do think it's a big part of who I've become. Um, I feel in terms of some of the things that I've, or if I were to say the person who left Ben to the person coming back, the little bit that I do know is I do feel a lot more confident in myself and in my skin. Um, I, I feel very much like the person who left bend was still, um, insecure about her looks or about her body or about her ability to, to, uh, to do the things she really wanted to do in her life. And I do feel a lot more laid back about it now. I feel that it's a sense of trust. Um, like I feel there's something moving. We could call it fate even. I just feel like I'm actually able to move in life in a way that feels right. Like there's no wrong decision. You know, everything is working out. And yeah, I think it's kind of a, a sense of confidence in the unfolding of the journey. And so right now it's still walking. But even when I stop, I I don't feel it's the end. I feel like it's the beginning of something. Like by getting back to Ben, there's a lot of things that I want to do. And I feel like it's that the walk has created um, a shape and a form to the way that I'll continue living my life. What do you think about building that confidence and that kind of getting rid of those insecurities? What about the walk did that? Was it seeing, you know, literally thousands of different people living totally different lifestyles? Or is it kind of just being confident in the fact that I did this? And like, no one can take away the fact that I walked five for five years. I can, uh, I can kind of be uh, a rest insuredness that I accomplished that. Hmm. Um, because that's I interesting. Think, you know, you left with insecurities and come back, and you and you just feel so much more at peace about your trajectory. And I want to know what what did you see? What did cause that? Well, I think it actually comes down to the willingness to fail several times. Um, <laughs> I mean, so for example, when I, I when I walk when I started walking, I I left from my best friend's house in Bend, Oregon, and then I walked to Portland, and from Portland, I flew to Australia. Now, from Ben to Portland, I had my community. I mean, my friends were coming along the way, bringing me coffee and cookies. Uh, uh, you know, when I was near the end, getting closer to Portland, we all met at a hot springs. And it, I felt the support of the structure of my life still when I crossed. And then when I flew to Australia, it was like, there I am alone, about to walk into the outback with almost no experience. I mean, we're talking two weeks <laughs> and I was about to go into a place that people were like, you do realize people die all the time of dehydration. You know, there's, there's no water. It's extremely hot, you know? And I was like, yeah, I know. And I think, and I say this lightly, I think there was a part of me that thought, look, I've researched and prepared as much as I can. I'm either going to do this or not. So I'm going to go into it. And yeah, there's a chance that something horrible could happen or I could die. I understand that, that that's always the case with anything we do. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. And I think that willingness to go into it, knowing the risks I was taking, facing that I did end up um, getting heat stroke. I ran out of water at some point, but I figured it out and I'm still alive. And I think <laughs> uh, that's the, the place when I can look back 
and I see the challenges I face and how I face them, that gives the confidence that if I can go through those things, surely I could do anything on the planet. (laughs) Oh man, that is so (laughs) cool. That is, I love that. And if anyone has not experienced a journey and adventure out there, Man, I, I'm sure you would agree. I, we encourage you so much to go experience it. You you really learn who you are and what you're made of. Um, were, were you surprised at all by your resilience or your resourcefulness at any point along this journey? Or did you say, no, this was always in me and I knew it. I just had to draw it out. Great question. I think that I had some confidence in my resilience, but again, that probably has a little bit of a sprinkling of stubbornness as well (laughs) on top of it. Like I said, I'm doing this. I'm going to do it. There's no backing (laughs) out. Um, but I, what I don't think I, I knew about myself was how to actually be brave, like how to choose courage. Um, and that's why I thought it was time to, to do the talk when I gave the TEDx talk in Edinburgh about courage as a verb, because I don't think I ever experienced something in my life where I, was facing uh, fear and risk, like even just starting. I mean, when I went to Australia, I had friends of friends who were from Australia or visited and they were just warning me. It was very much like they feared for my life. Um, And to still go through with it, again, there might be some stubbornness, but also it's kind of a, I'm going to choose to be brave here and do it. Because if there's no risk involved, then, then it's not being brave right? If there's a little bit of risk that you could lose your job or your relationship, or you could, you know, um, you feel like you're going to be rejected, whatever it is we're facing in our life there, if there's risk and we're moving forward, then we're choosing to be courageous, even in the smallest little things we do in the day. So I think that really, that did shock me a little bit like, wow, okay, I chose that. That will make it even easier for the next time. Do, does your risk then have, um, and your courage, does it have boundaries in the sense of there's just things you realized out on the walk that you weren't willing to put yourself through or places you weren't willing to go? Yeah. I mean, I think that that, that would be knowing very clearly my boundaries. That would be knowing I don't, like, I don't have the energy to do that, or I don't have the interest or yeah, that that risk is too big. And I think that that's important to, for us to be able to identify. I mean, that's where we say a boundary is, well, I'm willing to take the risk up until a certain point, or I don't want to take that risk because this is more important than that. So, so yeah, there were, there were definitely, I think, certain boundaries along the way, but, um, but I, I, I can be, I can always kind of chew off a little bit more (laughs) like my mom, you know, being a little kid, it was always that, you know, my eyes were bigger than my stomach. And I think I've lived my whole life that way a little bit. (laughs) Well, yeah, you walk into five years around the world. It's, that's quite a bit to chew, (laughs) quite a bit, a big of a bite to take. (laughs) My goodness. You know, when you, when you left, you said you had lots of friends, lots of family or lots of friends that joined you and were excited what do you think, I mean, what did people say to you when you told them you wanted to do this when you first had the idea, um, family or friends alike? Well, um, my, what comes to mind is my mom. Um, so my friends surprisingly were pretty supportive. I think at least in, uh, you know, 
kind of on the surface level. Deep down, they were probably worried. For all I know, they could have been, you know, having dinners talking about like, oh my God, can you believe what she's going to do? <laughs> you think she'll survive? Right, uh, right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but my mom, she um, pretty much was like on her knees begging me not to go. She was terrified for me. And not just, but the thing is not because she knew me. It was the, the, her own fears being projected onto me. I mean, I was 32, you know, and it's like, like I'm, I've been an adult for a long time here. I can make decisions. But she was worried about her. I mean, she was worried for me, but she was also worried about her having to live her life if something had happened to me. Right. It was that fear right. of losing a child. And it, eventually, I would say about after the first year and her realizing I'm OK and um, you know, her kind of gaining confidence as well in my ability to do this journey. Uh, it was the, I think the, almost the third year in, uh, she bought a, a three wheeled trike that she could lay down in, put her panniers on and she flew to Scotland and she joined me and we went through England, through Belgium, uh, parts of France and Amsterdam together. And she's also now joining me from Columbus, Ohio to uh, Kansas City or possibly Denver. So <laughs> she she went from I fear for your life to kind of my biggest fan. I want to be on the road with you. Do you th is that the same? Is that something she would do without you kind of forcing her hand, not forcing her hand, but but kind of building that foundation for her? Was she the type of person to just I want to ride my bike around Scotland? Oh, no, not at all. So okay, she never, so. She, so it obviously runs in the family. <laughs> no, she was like, I want to come walk with you. I want to have an adventure. But m my mom is, um, she's got a lot of um, health issues. And so she's like, there's just no way I could, I could walk. I mean, even, even a, a mile or two would be strenuous for her. So that's when she thought up the idea of the, the trike. And so she went out and looked it up, invested um, shipped it over and just kind of went in head first. So apparently I think I got some, <laughs> some of the stubbornness and the courage from her. <laughs> wow. So, so what was the experience, uh, being with your mom for, you know, I don't know how long it took, but being with her for part of the walk. Um, it was fun in many ways and also extremely challenging. I think as much as we can love our parents, if you're together 24 seven, um, if you come out of it in the other end and there's no, you know, murder that's happened, <laughs> <laughs> then I think you're pretty good. So, you know, it was definitely challenging. It challenges my, my own patience and, and we definitely, uh, mirror each other. And, um, I think the most important thing that I keep in mind, especially with my mom joining me again now is you don't know how long someone's going to be with you. And having lost both my, my birth father and my stepdad, I know that this adventure is a gift to her. So if I get over the hump of, oh, well, sometimes I get annoyed and it's really challenging. And, you know, there were times when mom was with me and I think I can't wait for her to go back home because I want to be in my own world because I'm an introvert, you know, and she's an extrovert. Um, I just remind myself, I have this incredibly strong mom who's willing to do this. And she's inspiring a lot of women. She's 72, you know, and, and I just realize it's a gift for her. And I stop thinking about myself and I think more about what it does for her and her life. And so that helps. Yeah. Mm. It is your journey, but obviously it's affecting tons of other people. Uh, and I know you're doing this for a cause as well. And I'd like to talk about that in a second. Um, 
can, can you tell us like what putting yourself out there kind of building this framework of this journey and actually doing it what has been one of the most i don't know just random or exciting kind of adventure within an adventure where you look back and say i can't believe that happened simply because i'm walking around the world hmm what can you can you clarify what you mean by like like a certain yeah like instance, like an or? experience where you said maybe the TED talk even where like wow like I'm I'm on a stage talking to people or maybe it was uh you know a family you were having dinner with that you just thought this is an incredible experience and I'm so glad I decided to do this. Mm. Well, uh, I think one of the things that stands out is um, when I was walking in Southern Italy, there was this. Um, just this huge uh, storm front that had come through. I mean, we're talking like constant rain and wind. Um, my tent was flooding and I started thinking, well, I'm going to spend maybe a week or so, see if I can find a farm or somewhere where I could help out. Cause I do like to contribute as much as I can. And I found this, this woman and she had just bought a 13th century house in Tuscany and she needed help with the garden. And, you know, also on the inside, you know, uh, taking down walls and we are now um, best friends. And she just gave birth to her daughter, which I was, was able to kind of be a part of. I mean, it's just been phenomenal. So I think it's these, this experience at one point where I'm sitting in Tuscany underneath the wisteria bush, having wine, you know, made by a local neighbor. And you're just like, wow, how did I end up here? <laughs> I mean, I had to, it's almost like I joke with friends I meet. I had to walk around the world to find you. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. That's a good, I like that line. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Yeah, that's a, that sounds pretty magical, honestly. <laughs> they are. I mean, and there's other times too, of course, that you know, you're, it's, you know, in Mongolia, I remember it was three days of, of um, a snow blizzard. I couldn't get out of my tent. The tent was, the, the snow was, you know, almost two and a half feet high. I could have tried to dig my way out, but at the same time, once I was out trying to load my cart and pull that through the snow, wouldn't have been very pleasant. So, you know, three days stuck in the tent, you're like, well, this is kind of cool, but not really all that enjoyable. You start to get cabin fever or tent fever, you know? Right. Um, but you but you realize too if i was at home watching tv eating a piece of pizza or something there's no way i would be able to have this experience i'm having being stuck in a tent you know i was stuck in a tent in mongolia during a blizzard like i can't say that <laughs> right <laughs> and you can say that and you're not lying that's mm -hmm. a, that's amazing so so do you, do you have a favorite place you've been or or a list of places you've been or has everywhere been just kind of equal well I still feel that Australia has been my favorite place. Um, and I say that because I loved the solitude. I loved the desert, especially the, just, just the dryness of it. Um, and because it did strip me down. Like I found my confidence, you know, having to face the challenges of being in extreme heat. I, my skin had boiled up on my arms at one point. I had to make my own shade structures. Um, I mean, that whole experience of being in the outback and you know, really just being alone and realizing, you know, 
that self-resilience is phenomenal. And even in the outback, the magic of at one point I, you know, I'm walking in the desert and there's a, a trail and someone rocks up in a big bus that's been converted into a, a house and they have a cappuccino machine. I mean, it's unreal. The kind of uh, things that I feel like you have to, you have to just have some movement, whatever that is, some movement to find things. Yeah. So Australia has been just that, that place for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, especially, you know, on my kind of home run here, um, there are a lot of places I loved. Sardinia was, I mean, the experience, but also the landscape was phenomenal. Um, I, I recently did Switzerland. Um, that's where I ended my walk in, uh, in Europe and I fell in love with Switzerland as well. And there's a lot of gems to almost every country. Uh, but I think because Australia really stripped me down, helped me to let go of the construct of who I thought I would be and build that confidence that I can do this. If I could, if I could get through the outback, surely I could continue walking other places in the world. Ain't that the truth? And you did. (laughs) And you are. (laughs) Yeah. So so Um, has, uh, now, now I I see, you you know, I'm going to post a picture when we, when we uh, put the show up, but you, you push this cart um, or you pull it. uh, It looks like you change it up. Did, did it take a while to get kind of nailed down what you like to carry and kind of used to everything or has it just constantly changed over the last five years? So, yeah, I mean, like anyone in the beginning, I started with way too much. Like I had, I don't know, I must've had, you know, like eight pairs of clothes and three shoes. Like I was thinking this is what I'm going to have for, I have to be able to, to have my whole life in this cart. And then over time I was able to pare it down to have a little bit less. Um, but I knew I wanted a cart because that's, it seemed that that's what everyone was doing. And when I say everyone, I mean that handful of people that really are, yeah, you know, like walking six people or running. This. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, right. I know there's, it, 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 it's not a lot, but at the same time, you'll be surprised. There are quite a few people, you know, walking. Um, you know, I, I, I was able to connect with a guy who's walking currently across the States and, you know, um, there's, it seems that, you know, whether walking, you know, running or even cycling, there are a lot of people that are jumping in to kind of experience the world, you know, in, in a way that is self-sufficient, but also willing to connect to the communities and the people that you meet along the way. You know, the, it, it does seem like a, a small network of people doing this. Have, have you found it challenging to kind of be the only person probably, you know, around doing this maybe the only person anyone's met doing this um well it's interesting so i think the people that i meet they definitely feel like wow i've never met anyone doing anything like this but because i i've kind of i have that community of of knowing someone who's running or someone who's walking and like when i first started or before i started actually i went and walked with carl bushby who has been walking around the world for 20 years now. And I was like, I need some experience. I'm going to come, you know, look at his gear. I wanted to see his cart and look at his gear. And, and then we did an expedition in Mongolia. So it's almost like I, when I thought, well, I'm doing this thing that it seems like only maybe one or two women have ever done. You realize there's actually about 25. (laughs) Sometimes they'll, if they know of someone who did something like walking the States or, doing a trail, they like to 
tell me about them. Like, have you heard of so-and-so? And it mm. kind of, cause they're getting summed into that kind of adventure world. I'm like, Oh, you know, and of course the most common I get is, you know, what about Cheryl Strayed? And I'm like, she's a phenomenal writer and I absolutely love her. Um, but her journey is so different. It was three months, you know, kind of lost to found. And this is a very, very different journey. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the only person I know doing this is Tom Tursich, and we had him on the show. He's been walking, I think, five years as well. And uh, I feel it's funny because I feel like I know that name, but um, I, I, he's not someone I'm connected with. But I think I recently heard of the name. Hmm. We had him on the show, I think, a few months ago, and just great guy. You know, has a dog with him, but just walking around the earth, and uh, got really sick for like a year and had to stop and. Um, but just kind of like you just has this wonderful demeanor about it all. Just this peacefulness about them. That's, I don't know, kind of, you just can't understand it unless you've done something similar. So it's interesting that both of you have this similar attitude towards the world. Um, has, has the world been kind to you? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, there's, it's funny, there's a saying that Carl Bushby once had, which was that he's like, you'll find that 99% of people, in the world helpful thinking it's like you might be homeless who knows what you're doing you might be asking for something and so a lot of times they don't they don't want to participate and so it takes someone very special to stop and actually ask what are you doing i can imagine i can i can imagine just about every time you stopped the cart someone was saying where you come from where you're going and why are you doing this yes yes it happens very rarely but um, but in the States, I've been walking with a big orange sign that has my website, which is, oh, it's kind of challenging because <laughs> I don't like feeling like I'm wearing a sign. But because um, I'm trying to raise money for this organization to build a shelter for girls, I feel like that's the part I can play. That's the way that I can. Help yes. Them. Yeah. And, that, and that's definitely something worth promoting and, and getting it to people's attention for. And, and if you don't mind, could you tell us? You know, what that organization is and what you're doing and how you're raising the money as well as when that idea came about was it with the beginning of the walk or somewhere somewhere in the walk yeah sure so um so when i started the walk i knew that i wanted to to give back in some way um i wanted to see if there was a way that i could marry you know the walk that is going to be able to contribute. So what I started was a 50, 50 rule. And that means that if anyone donated anything to me, then I would give 50% of it away. And so what it looked like at the time was I'm, you know, someone gives me $5, I'll give $2 and 50 cents to an organization that is helping girls and women. Now, for the longest time, I'd say the first five years or so, it was me just choosing an organization that I thought was doing some pretty good work. With this organization called Her Future Coalition, I had known about them because they were, um, and they still are, training young girls and women uh, in jewelry making so they can be self-sufficient, giving them skills. And these are particularly girls who have been a victim of gender violence. Uh, and sex trafficking. And just, it's something that's, you know, near and dear to my heart, just in terms of someone who's experienced um, abuse and being attacked and things that I realize, you know, I'm walking the world, I'm sleeping in a tent, that's not really shelter. 
right? It keeps, it keeps the rain off of you ultimately. And these are girls who, um, are homeless or enslaved. And it, I wanted to be able to help by building a shelter that will house up to a hundred girls that will give them education and counseling. And, uh, so basically when I'm walking, uh, I have my website out and people can go to my website and click donate. And I'm trying to raise $20,000 to build the shelter. And we're, we're doing pretty good. I think we're at 7,000 now. Awesome. And so, yeah, what, what are your plans with that? Are you going to be involved with that after the walk, I assume? Uh, yes. So when I finish walking, um, hoping that we raise the full 20,000, uh, I would actually like to go to India to, to help uh, in building the shelter, but also potentially to meet some of these girls. Because if anything, what they've endured is far beyond anything I can imagine. And I think they would be such an inspiration to me. That sounds like you have a goal and uh, absolutely something worth working on um, when the walk is complete. Yeah. Yeah. It's something I I definitely look forward to. I feel like I want to have a long-term relationship with her future coalition. It's a very, very small organization. Uh, for most, for most, I think all 10 years, I think that they've been going, they stick to the 90, 10 rule. And that means that 90% of all donations and funds go directly to the girls and the program. Gosh, yeah. How can you not get behind that? That's fantastic. Well, I, well, I really hope that we can uh, get the word out to some people who, uh, can help out and who can donate. Um, and I know that you also do public speaking. Uh, do, do you schedule those on your, on your way to Bend, Oregon? Well, I'm not, I don't actively seek, uh, the, the speaking events. It's kind of something that's just, um, kind of, uh, formed itself. I, a lot of the, the talks that I've done along the way, um, have been kind of at expos and events and, uh, just recently, um, and probably out of necessity, <laughs> I, uh, I started asking for public speaking fees and it's been really phenomenal uh, because the first time I ever did it, I uh, because I always offered it for free. And the first time I did it and I got a yes, I it kind of felt like um, <laughs> like magic happening. Like this is a world that actually exists to be <laughs> like an adventure. Yeah. Who can just you know, tell their story? So. So, yeah. So I, for example, in a month and a half, I fly to South Korea and speak at an, uh, an expo that's particularly trying to help Busan, which is the the kind of Southeast corner of South Korea to, um, to become a walking city. And so if people contact me, I'll, you know, fly out and be able to give talks. And it's also what helps me to fund, uh, walking across the U S. So I still live on $5 a day. Um, and then I have just enough to probably make it back to bend, but if I can get a little bit more, it means I can eat lasagna instead of two minute noodles. (laughs) Five dollars a day—that is impressive. Well, it's you know basically it just means you have a lot of instant coffee, um, you have oatmeal in the morning, and maybe you know two-minute ramen noodles at night. It's not a very nutritious uh, way to eat, but um, it's affordable and it gives me enough energy to keep walking. That takes discipline, you know. It, it is hard when you get to a town and you have, you just want to you know blow however much money on a big old meal to sit there and do that and and be committed to that. It takes a lot of discipline, I'm sure. 
Mm, yeah. Well, and it also helped like out of necessity when you realize you just can't do it. I mean, I remember times I'd be walking through Italy and people would be having a croissant and an espresso outside in the veranda. And it's like longingly looking at it like there was a time I knew what that felt like. <laughs> You're like, I wish I could go do that. But no, I, you know, and sometimes I splurge, you know, being back in the States, I might see a Starbucks and kind of teeter and then go, yep. I'm going to spend my whole $5 on a cold brew (laughs) and I have the freedom to choose that. So that's all good. (laughs) You have earned it. Now, I, you know, I don't, I don't want you to take this the wrong way or, or I don't know what I'm trying to say, but when I, when I looked at your Instagram, you're very, uh, you're just very put together and clean. I, I don't, I don't mean it just struck me because a lot of people I see on a journey are perpetually filthy myself included when I do something that's months long. Um, you just, I'm like, she just does not look like you're just walking all day, every day. You're so put together. How do, is that something you take pride in or something other people have told you? And I'm sorry, I don't mean to be offensive. It just it struck me. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, I, I totally get it. And I actually appreciate you saying that because, um, I, I don't, I don't feel that way. Uh, that I feel very put together, but I think that actually just comes from, um, priority. So when I'm walking the, and this was huge in the first four years of walking. So I, I consciously chose not to document myself. I took some photos, a lot of the things on the website you see, they were, some of them were taken by me. A lot of them were taken by other people. And, uh, I didn't, I guess I could say I wanted to get a little lost. I didn't want to document my, my experience so that I felt, uh, any pressure to, to have to blog or, um, to have to, you know, be on social media. And I know it would be helpful. I could have a larger following, but I just didn't, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be fully in my journey and it's only through the walk in the U S, um, and partnering with her future that I've had to step that up a bit and I'm still learning it. So sometimes on a story, um, on Instagram, you know, I actually had this one and I, I don't know if I saved it, but I just, I was smelled horrendous and it was hot. And I talked about smelling as bad as a dead raccoon. It was just, (laughs) I was having a really tough time and I'll, I, I tried to seize that kind of in the moment, but I'm not as good at social media. Um, I feel like I'm still learning it. So a lot of times what you're seeing is if I, if I'm on a break or someone has invited me into their home, I feel like I have a little bit more time and energy to put into it. So it's actually really good feedback that you say that. I probably need to, you know, share a little bit more of the dirt on the road. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's whatever you want to do. I, I definitely can tell also that you're not one of these uh, adventure bloggers who who is relying on their audience to get them through it as well. You can, I can tell, I it just pick it up that you're not you're not used to this and you're not, you know, like I, yeah, you're not using social media as a way to, you know, basically make clickbait, which is what a lot of adventurers are doing out there nowadays. Um, it's getting them out there, but it's also, you know, exaggerated details to things. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Well, yeah. And I do appreciate, I mean, in the, I, I mean, look, when I first started, Carl Bushby said to me, um, and he's written a book and he's, he, he's filming everything. He actually mm-hmm. has a production crew behind him that has given him cameras and he's documented it. So at the end of 20 years, he, they will have incredible footage of his journey. In fact, National Geographic actually did a two hour special. Um, I think about, oh, it must be a good six years ago. And he said to me, his advice was, you need to film. 
we are a visual world. You really do need to be filming it. And I went against that. <laughs> and and, for, and I'm, ha- I'm happy that I did. Mm. I don't have a huge following, but it's because I didn't want to prove anything to anyone. I didn't want to actually um, do your feedback. I didn't want to seem too polished. I didn't want to uh, try to shape my journey for anyone's eye other than just being in it. And it, it stressed me, I think. It stressed me to think about trying to blog and, and, and post for people. And so I still try to, I'm still balancing that now across the States, how, you know, being authentic in what I'm sharing, but not feeling the need to. And sometimes I get messages of where are you? Are you okay? And it's like, yes, I'm just not posting for a month. That's just, I just don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. I I would say just, I just say do however, however you feel, because once you get in that world, it's, it, it can really suck you in, you know, and it can, it can pull you out of your journey that you're in and into social media or into that screen or whatever you have to do to, to make it, to make it visible. Um, you know, and you can always do it when you're done, you know, I'm sure you've got a lot you don't post. So, you know, maybe you write about it later and that's the way you want to express it as a way to reflect on it all. Um, well, that's one. Yeah, that's definitely one. I want to be able to tell the story in the way that I want to tell it. Mm. I, I, I want to write about it. Um, and yeah, and I, I think it's also just that I, I'm someone who feels a little pressure from having to, to post and I just have no interest in being an Insta star. So, so this, this, are, are you getting antsy to get to bend or is it still kind of the same? Let's just see where the journey takes us. Um, I feel, I still feel the same in, in, in terms of just letting the journey be what it is. And, um, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to reach bend until, um, probably late winter or early spring of next year. Um, and that's allotting a little bit of time, you know, in between. And if I, if I stay somewhere, like I like to use work away is really great. So I'll stop somewhere. And if for like, you know, one to three weeks I can work and contribute and have a place to stay and I can write a little bit or just even have some downtime and enjoy a a bed and four walls. Um, I like to do that. Awesome. Well, yeah. Let let us know when you're coming through Denver. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Are you now? Are you based in Denver? Yes. Oh, great. Well, yeah. I will be seeing you. I think I have to make it hopefully by um, November, December to do a, a speaking event. So I will. I'll be able to meet you in person. I'll let you know. Absolutely. And now, if you want anywhere else to speak, I'd love to. My my wife is a teacher at an elementary school. Um, Heck, I don't know if you want something like that. I know some places that that allow that would probably love to hear your story if you're interested. But if not, yeah, of course, I love doing that. I love to speak. And again, I mean, a lot of times, like in schools and things like that, I I don't I don't charge. It's just kind of bigger organizations. But I like to just offer like schools and things like that, just to come in and talk and let people ask me questions. Kids are great. I love their questions. Cool. Yeah. It's a very diverse <laughs> so school. I think they have almost 30 languages represented. So kids all over the world. And so maybe, maybe you have walked through some of the places that they don't get to talk about that much. Right. Well said. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. awesome. Well, I, I don't want to keep you from your appointment. I know you got to go, but thank you for doing this. Uh, congratulations, uh, you know, on just sticking with this. It's a lot to, to, just stick with something this long and also being so close to, uh, 
to completing the journey. It's really incredible. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm first of all, I'm, I'm just happy that you had me. You had some wonderful questions and this was really enjoyable. Good. And hopefully I'll see you in Denver. I look yeah, forward to it. Absolutely. Let's plan on it. <laughs> okay, great. Right. Well, thank you so much, yeah. Mason. I appreciate it. Yes. All right. Thanks, Angela. Yeah, have a good one. Okay. And I'll see all you right. in Denver. Yes, ma'am. All right. <laughs> okay, bye. bye. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.